welcome to From the Library with Love, a podcast for anyone whose life has been changed by reading. You can never be sure what you'll discover in the pages of a book. That's even more true if that book is checked out from a library. In 20 years of library work, Sharon McKellar from Oakland Library in California has been documenting the weird and wonderful things she finds in library books. From recipes to kids' drawings and crochet hooks and even a backstage concert pass, each item is an anonymous glimpse into someone's life. Now she's helping reunite readers with their lost relics through her Found in a Library Book project. Welcome, Sharon. Hi, thank you for having me. Oh, you're so welcome. It's very early in the morning over there. It's like later in the afternoon over here, but we've we've worked out the time difference. We conquered it. Yes, we did. It's perfect. <laughs> so Good warm up for my work day. Uh, yeah, exactly. Have you had your coffee? Oh, yeah. Oh, well done. You're, you're caffeinated. That's good. <laughs> must must be. <laughs> so listen, Sharon, in my um, quest, I suppose you would call it, uh, for want of a better word, to interview 100 library workers, I've heard all manner of weird and wonderful things left in library books, mainly as kind of bookmarks, but everything from, uh, I've been told, rashes of bacon to stockings and even condoms, which I must hasten to add very quickly, unused. <laughs> Can you yes. tell me more about some of your favourite finds? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's so many. Um, we, I love photographs. Um, so many photographs. In particular, I love uh, Polaroids and other photographs that you can tell are from an era where they were not created digitally. And so you just know this is like an individual item. That's history um, of the book, isn't it? Exactly, exactly. Oh. Lots of to-do lists too, which I'm also fond of because <laughs> I have one million to-do lists everywhere oh, at all times. I love a to-do list. But also some really weird things like, um, you know, like you mentioned the crochet hook and there's like this round piece that I'm almost positive came off the front of a dishwasher. It's like a round piece of thick plastic that says KitchenAid <laughs> on it and you know, things like that. You just wonder, like, how did that, like, why did someone why think that was a good bookmark? Did it just land in the book somehow? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a fan of the weirder ones. <laughs> For sure, because, you know, that's where the, the real good juicy stories stem from. Exactly. So, Sean, I'm kind of intrigued. What gave you the idea for the Found in a Library Book project? And when did it start? I have always, you know, been intrigued by the little things I found everywhere but in the library in particular just because that's a place I spend my time and a place where you're interacting with a lot of different people and so I've always you know had a little my own little collection of things I've saved and at some point my role in the library switched from sort of being a person in a branch who was a kind of classic librarian to more behind the scenes and part of my job was running and managing our library's website and we had implemented, and this was, you know, more than 10 years ago now. So our brand new website had blogs, which was at the time a very exciting and big deal. And so uh, my goal was to sort of kind of humanize the library and the workers and what we did. And the blogs were an opportunity to sort of show our personality in, in a more fun way and, and not just be kind of a listing of the things we did and the things we had. And so... I was just trying to come up with ideas for what to do with that. I had read a magazine before called Found Magazine that I used to love. That is a magazine where some people submit things they found from anywhere and, and then they put out a magazine. 
And so I kind of got the idea from there that it would be fun to showcase some of the things I had found and then to see if other library staff perhaps had similar things they had held on to. Okay. So that's how it started. And on our previous website, it was sort of a blog. So every so often I would post a post with maybe five or six things on it. Right, right. And so did you reach out to other library workers? Is that how it kind of expanded? You you kind yeah, of, people kind exactly. of like straight away resonated with them because they were like, oh yeah, this is... Exactly. Different. So I reached out to library staff at first just to, you know, you know, we're a 17 location public library system in an urban area. So there's a lot of people who are working, working in the library. So I reached out to people who I knew were kind of, I was friendly with and librarians who I knew would be kind of into the idea at first. And then as it took off a bit, I started just kind of putting out a general, more of a general call. And sort of over the years, it just became known that you should send me the things you find. And so... You're the go-to. Yeah. And a couple of people, when they retired, literally handed off like giant envelopes of things that they had been collecting for literal decades, which is how we have some of the kind of older stuff that shows up on our site now. I have this image of you opening a door and just being buried under the sheer weight of things. (laughs) It sometimes feels like that, although the truth (laughs) is they're all very small. So even though there's hundreds of them, they don't take up as much room as you would think. Oh, okay. Okay. We're not finding you know, elephants or, or you know, any oh, right, right. <laughs> so, um, but, but yeah, so most of the collection does come from other, other folks around the library system. So you said there are 17 libraries within your system. Just what sort of area or does that cover? Is that, excuse my ignorance, that's in California, yeah? Yeah, so we're Oakland, California, which is um, in the San Francisco Bay Area. So we're over the Bay Bridge from San Francisco. So we are, it's a very urban area. It's a pretty large city. I'm like, how? I don't know sizes very well. We serve a, a population of just over 400,000. So okay, pretty, pretty large area then. Yeah. I'm just in my head thinking how wonderful it would be if there was a central link up with you know, libraries across America and and then Canada and then Europe and how would that be? That would be very, very cool. I know. And I know, you know, one of the things I've learned from this getting so much attention, um, which was surprising and fun, is that, you know, we are definitely not the only library that has these collections. I think we are probably the only library who has cataloged them and sort of archived them and shared them, uh, which we've been doing just for a couple years in the way we have. So it's really unique and it's such a good idea because as a li- librarian, you're kind of was it, born to catalog, but it's in your nature anyway, isn't it? And I, yeah. reckon, I hope that if there's any librarians listening to this, they'll think, yeah, what a great idea. You know, you could you could so easily do that. Um, yeah, no, it's been really fun. And it has. there's been this there was a chunk of time there in the middle where, you know, people were still sending me things because they knew I liked them. And even before this, like, I'm the person people send their strange, like the books that we've discarded because they're outdated or, you know, not useful. And if they're real weird, people would send them to me and be like, I just feel like you'd appreciate this. So even when my job didn't involve doing this anymore, basically a couple years ago, we got another new website um, because that one that was new 10 years ago became less new. Uh-huh. And the new website offered, I was on the team that helped sort of decide what that was going to look like. And there was sort of an opportunity to, I'm trying to think of the right word, upload and include something called special content. It was just a content type. And I just had this like, what if these found items were a special content? And I 
have so many of them uh, that I'd never shared. Some already scanned, some literally in a cardboard box under my desk that I just spent some time sort of scanning them and adding them as this content and then thinking of categories for them and then building that page that you can now see that you can where you can sort of scroll through so that people can look through them by category. Um, Brilliant. And I'll include the links for that website so anyone listening to this can, can definitely. Perfect. And, and you can do the short. There's a, If you do oaklandlibrary.org slash found, that works. How many items have you got up there now, would you say, that you've documented? So I just looked today. So we now have 446 that are online. Um, I have 100 already scanned on my computer that I haven't had a chance to add yet. And I probably have a couple hundred more that haven't been scanned yet. So a lot. Yeah. Quite a lot. And they keep coming. I got more yesterday in, you know, in our in our well, office. So when you find the extra day in the week, I'm sure you'll, you know, in an yeah. hour, then you could I mean, that's the kind of the funny thing about this, right? Is it's really it's a fun thing that I like doing. It was sort of part of my job when my job was the website. My role now is I supervise and sort of coordinate services to teenagers across the entire library system. So like this has nothing to do with my, you know, day to day job. So it's always been sort of a thing I did if I'm in a meeting and I can like my hands can be doing something else or I just have like a little bit of a break or I need to clear my brain. I do a little work on this. It's a lovely, so, like, it's not really a hobby, is it? I mean, because you're you kind of integrate it into your work. But have you, um, what, I've got to ask, what's your personal favorite? What's the thing that makes you just gives you that real feel good factor? I mean, I have some favorites that I love because they're kind of funny because that's just my personality. But I think that in terms of the feel good factor, there is um, there are a couple. There's one that's a notebook. It's like a very small notebook that was clearly a child interviewing a grandparent about her childhood in um, now I'm trying to remember. I believe Vietnam. I can go back and confirm that, though. And just talking about what brought her to America and when she came here and the and the answers to the questions about how it was hard and lonely when she first got here. And it's just this very beautiful kind of intergenerational conversation in like a tiny notebook with a with a panda bear on it. Oh, I love that. And that's like a little slice of social history, too, isn't it? Exactly. Exactly. Oh, I love that so much. And what... Um... Would you say that's, oh, I love the one as well. I think I listened to a great interview you did with Kelly Clarkson and you were talking yes. about <laughs> a kid's drawing and they'd drawn a picture of their dad. Tell me that story. Yes, that is my that is my favorite, favorite of the, the sort of silly uh-huh. ones. It's called, I call it Robot Daddy if you're trying to find it on the site. It's a, it's a drawing. Oh no, I'm thinking not, ro- Robot Daddy is also great. Robot Daddy is the one, it's a bookmark and it says like, calculating I love beer in like a little bubble I can't remember if that's the one I talked about or there's also one that's called that was it I love it that was it okay there's also one called CJ and dad where there's a drawing of there's like a a giant creature with like devil horns and a devil's (laughs) tail and then this little thing on the bottom with a label that's CJ and like a label on the the big one that's labeled dad, which is another of my like favorite, favorite of the kid drawings. Um, you just can picture as a parent myself, I just picture like, I'm yeah. sure CJ's dad was like, no, you can't have a sixth cookie or, you know, I just, right. I don't imagine it as anything truly terrible. I just or picture true. like an angry <laughs> little kid because you know they're not his rage, yeah, because he wasn't yeah. allowed an extra biscuit or whatever <laughs> oh that's really what's the most 
poignant. I suppose would that be the 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 child interviewing the grandparent? I suppose. That one is very poignant. There's another one though that I really love. Um, it's a postcard, and it is actually. Ah! I have it here because I always forget the details. So I'm like, I'm going to print things so I can look at them when I'm talking about them. From um, a woman, I think it's Jess, although it's hard to read, or Jen, to someone named William. And it's a very short postcard where she's sort of expressing that she had written, she says, at least 36 cards, postcard letters, and says, hopefully you've received them all which sort of just implies that she has not actually gotten response, but has continued to write and, and just sort of congratulating him and saying, it sounds like you have a different kind of support than we had. And I hope that, and I wish you both, like, I wish you the best. And I just. One-sided conversation. Yeah. And it just felt like there's something about, you know, there's no anger in her tone, right? Or even really sadness. And I, I just find it really touching that this person continues to express warm and kind feelings to somebody who who she's not hearing back from. Oh, that's quite... Well, no, it's not sad. I, I agree with you. The fact that she's not <laughs> venting rage, it's just quite pragmatic about it. Yeah. and And to me, this is sort of representative of I've been thinking like what's kind of an overall theme just because, you know, people have asked me that kind of question. And and I realize that part of what I really love about this is that the overall theme is really sort of optimism and positivity of humankind. In, uh, and I say that because it's, you know, hundreds and hundreds, probably at this point, close to a thousand things that I've looked at, although they're not all up live. They're not things that people wrote intending for them to be seen by me or you or the public, right? A lot of them are notes to themselves or little private messages to each other. And there's like very little to no kind of anger in there, right? There's sadness and there's maybe some frustration sometimes, but there's no rage. Yeah. There's no no violence there it's all I just find that truly fascinating because this is what people this isn't um a face people are putting on right this is this is a glimpse into their real feelings yeah and I find that really heartening to hear because to me like it feels like the world is quite polarized at the moment and everybody seems to have this outpouring of rage on social media and when you strip it back and that's how people are communicating that or they're giving a glimpse into their interior life that's a kind of heartwarming sentiment, I suppose, isn't it? That people are fundamentally yeah. good at heart, I, think so I suppose. Too. And I don't think it's a coincidence that, you know, this, I mean, it's certainly a coincidence that we got a new website and I was able to start archiving this at the time I did, which was quite literally during the pandemic. But I don't think it's a coincidence that that, that it took off the way it did or that people found it and were so engaged by it, because I do think... The political climate and the isolation that people have been going through that all of the the things that this brings us are even more, I don't know, necessary for people right now to, to engage with. I think I, I agree completely. And because and, this spoke to me straight away, as soon as I heard about it, I thought I really want to interview this woman because there's something compelling about it. Because I think it just, it just speaks to the goodness of human nature. 
but people lose things and other people find them and look after them tenderly and curate them um yeah I, I just love that sentiment behind that that you're a keeper of lost things that and that and that we're all still connected and that even in this crazy age of like you know the internet where you can rage at somebody you don't even know without barely a thought or whatever all the things that can happen on there that are bad that it brings us back to the the basic of like connection between humans and actual physical physical objects and shows also that we still are writing things down <laughs> and have have a, a a truer self that is not when we're not so public that is maybe kind of lovely yeah, I agree. I agree. And that kind of leads nicely to the next question. I always think I always see a library, I suppose it's like a microcosm of life in a way, because it's a social welfare system and it's, it's there. But what? So if that's the case, then what do the items that are left behind say about us, about humanity? I think we kind of addressed that a bit, but what do they say about? Yeah, I, I think. Yeah, I think like the main thing is sort of what I said, that ultimately we want to connect to each other and that we want to connect to each other in a in a positive way that that goes across, you know, all the all the different lines that try to divide us. Right. And Oakland is an incredibly diverse community and in terms of everything you can imagine. And and yet this sort of common theme prevails. And, you know, we have items left behind in all different kinds of languages and all different levels of literacy and just, you know, very clearly spanning generations. And and there's still sort of this, this feeling of, of connection. And I think the reaction to it also tells us the same thing, right? That we're interested in each other and we're interested in in hearing each other's stories or imagining um others lives yeah i agree and i think it's such a lovely thing because we are social creatures and that's yes. quite a tangible thing isn't it a note uh, you know something left behind that we can hold in our hands that's you know that's real and that sums it up so lovely so beautifully but but talking to you sort of reminded me, and I love this is why I love talking to library workers because you get the best they have the best stories. <laughs> um, but I spoke to one librarian who always who said to me, "Okay, oh, when books come back," she said, "From my experience, they seem to absorb the smell of the person that would read it." And she worked in the library service for thirty years in East London, and she said, "Oh yeah, books absorb the the smell." So she said, um, "Romantic fiction used to come sometimes coming back smelling of perfume or cigarettes." She said. Mm. Westerns, you know, like cowboy books, which were, I don't think they kind of do those books anymore, but they were used to be huge in the 80s. Yeah, yeah. She said, yeah, they would always come back smelling of muscle rub and roll-ups. She said, I swear I had this image in my head of men reading it in the reading Westerns in the gym while they're pumping iron or whatever. <laughs> and I just I love that concept. Have you had any experience of that? It's so funny. I have not noticed the scent thing, although it makes me feel like I should pay attention. But I'm now so far away from where the books actually come in that I wouldn't. <laughs> hard. I have to go work at the uh, circulation desk for a day and be like secretly smelling yeah, the books. Yeah. <laughs> um, but there's definitely, I mean, in a way that's similar to this, right? Is like yeah, that's what reminded me of it, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. It's just sort of what do you what what hints are left behind about the person who had this book right and for the most part you know in a smaller branch people are kind of handing you their books directly and and you're engaging with people but 
in a larger branch and I now work out, out of our main library, most of the books are returned in a, in a giant book drop. And so you really don't necessarily see who returned what. And so um, there are there are little clues. We had for a while, this was quite a while ago, somebody was returning all of their books so covered in chocolate <clears throat> that we had to withdraw them. <laughs> And it was like this great mystery in the library of like, who, like, what is this person doing with all of these books? So there's definitely some like. Uh, that, that was me, I confess. Yeah, I was going to say, it wasn't me. If it had been potato chip grease, I might have had to take the blame. <laughs> that reminds me, because I spoke to um, another librarian who said to me that for ages, this is on the topic of smells, they were in the library and there was this awful odour that just took over the library and it just absolutely stunk and no one could get to the bottom of where it was and what it was coming from and they had to call in like the council services and eventually they found a wet fish on the top of a bookshelf and because where it was Whitechapel was quite near a market and she said people would go to the market they get their food the shopping then they, they just like set it down they slapped this wet fish down and it just and walked off and it got forgotten so I <laughs> like that is my worst nightmare. <laughs> I can't even imagine. Yeah. And I think um, she was the same woman that told me that during the war, um, when the library got moved underground at Bethnal Green, she said sometimes, you know, all those people living underground in the tunnels, they would have the outbreak, you know, occasionally an outbreak of impetigo or lice or, you know, some other horrible condition. Yeah. And the books would have to be sent off to be baked. Which was oh. a story I've never even heard of. I guess like steamed, yeah, like would get them out of get it. Wow, that's yeah. Really interesting. Yeah. Anyway, well, I think this. Yeah, I was going to say no, but it's interesting. And there was a time where you know, it's kind of nice that books are. This is going to sound terrible coming from a librarian, but they're less precious in a way in that we can replace a book, right? If a, if a someone leaves a wet dead fish in a book. I'm just going to throw the book away and buy a new one. I don't need to bake it, right? <laughs> like, oh, no, exactly. And, but, you know, during the war with paper rationing and the scarcity. Of course, of course. You know, and, you know, now we have vendors who sell just to libraries at a deep discount and from big warehouses. It's just a whole different, it's, you know, we don't have to um, consider each individual book as precious. It's the knowledge inside is, of course, precious. But exactly. anyway. But I, I always like that sense of continuity that reading in a sense, is the one thing that has remained unchanged. Yes, I know we've got Kindle, we've got audiobooks. Of course, but it's still reading. But the act of reading is unchanged, as it has been for millennia, and I find that really reassuring. I think it's comforting. Yeah, and that it's not, it doesn't seem like it's going anywhere, right? Like, it's, and you know, even as we change how we read, it doesn't change that we do it. And the enjoyment and the love and the escapism that we get from it. And I think, exactly. thank God you're a librarian, I'm an author. Let's hope that remains the case. Yeah, exactly. Not on something. <laughs> We've got a vested interest. Um, At no, least for the next 30 years. Yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, Found in the Library Book, which is obviously the title of the project, to me sounds like the title of a wonderful novel. Are you ever tempted to write a, a book based on your experiences and the stories within? Uh, yes. Well, that's fair time. Oh, always. <laughs> um, there are a lot of books in me that I have thought about and even started, but I have acknowledged with myself that having the dedicated time it requires to actually pull that off is not is not something I have right now. I have uh, twins that are almost eight years old. Oh wow! And 
and a, and a pretty demanding job. And so, so ideas, yes, possibly even skill, but, but I think it would need to, I would need to basically somehow magically like take a sabbatical and, and find a way to make that actually my work um, while still paying my bills. So but the idea is there. It will just have to. The idea is totally there. There's a nonfiction idea and a fiction idea. There's okay. there's so many ideas. I even at one point talked to an agent who like a friend had worked with about this sort of nonfiction bit, and she was into it. But it's like I don't even have the time to like turn that conversation into a proposal, let alone into an actual book. But you know what? That's really heartening to hear. Is there, and it will come out when the time is right, when your your time is right for it. In twenty years, when no one cares anymore, it'll be great. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I think that's just one of those ideas that will keep growing as the archive keeps getting bigger and bigger. That's and true. That's true. Is, you know, plucking all these beautiful stories. So I'm going to ask, if you accidentally left something in a library book, what would it be? It would 1000% be a weird to-do list that nobody would understand. <laughs> <laughs> it would probably start with things like, wake up brush teeth, take shower, because then I get to cross those things off and feel like I've done something in my day. <laughs> Breakfast, run twins to school. Exactly. I, I have them everywhere. I have found old to-do lists in my own books where I've been like, oh, like, you know, looking for something, looking up something or whatever and pulled out a book and been like, what is this in here? And found, you know, a to-do list from 10 uh, years ago or five uh, years ago. So I'm sure I have left them in library books. Yeah, there probably is one knocking around somewhere. And then, did you find a backstage concert pass? Yeah, which I wish was mine, but it's not. Yeah, I found, and there's been a lot of a lot of tickets to things, which sort of makes sense because they are a good size and shape for a bookmark. But the backstage pass is like a full laminated, like big old green pass. I think it was for Public Enemy concert. So, okay. do you think they got to use it? I hope so. I'm hoping that it landed in there after the concert because that would yeah. be a real bummer otherwise. Well, there's not a guy sitting out there who might listen to this one day and go, that's where my... That's where it went. I've been wondering why I missed meeting those guys. <laughs> now, Sharon, I ask all my interviewees um, the same three questions because I always find these really interesting. But what was your favourite childhood book? That one is easy because it's kind of still one of my favourite books. A Wrinkle in Time by Madeline Lengel, which I first read when I, well, it was first read to me when I was in fifth grade. And then I have read, I read it probably every year after that until I was like through high school. And I continue to read it every, at this point, I'd say every five to 10 years, I'm getting ready to do, to read it. I'm waiting till my kids feel really ready. And then it'll be one of my next reading oh, out loud. I've not heard of it. A Wrinkle in oh, Time. It's a classic. I have right here because I'm like this I have my copy that I actually had when I was a kid still oh, sitting look at that what's so, it sum it up what's what's so special about it why do you keep rereading it it's a really good question it is the first I tend to be a fan of sort of realistic and literary fiction and this is not realistic fiction this is sort of science fiction and it's it's very much science fiction and even with a little a little touch of fantasy in there. And it's the first book I read as a kid that instead of the sort of just the kind of seeing yourself in a book, which it did because the main character, Meg, 
um, I felt very akin to as a child. But also that like sort of made my brain go, it just kind of opened my brain to these like possibilities of what, I don't know, what can have, what science can be and like how, it's so hard to even explain. Like it connects sort of moral, not morals, but like belief systems and our current world and things that are going on in our current world to this kind of, you know, futuristic, not how things really are. It's it's what science fiction when done well does perfectly, right? Which is make you think about the actual world we're in, in a different way. And it just, I was like, just the right age for it to really. How old were you when you read that? I was nine or 10. Okay. The first time I read it. I think for me, the way hearing you describe that, a similar thing happened to me with War of the Worlds. Oh, yeah. I actually listened to, um, I can't even remember, my parents bought me the audio, there was a music thing, and I really was blown away by the sense of, other life is out, could be out there, other worlds. Totally. I remember I started to write a book about time travel after I read it in like my little (laughs) journal at the time. I probably wrote like two paragraphs and I was like, this is hard. But um, (laughs) I just really like I just started thinking about how all the possibilities. Hi, pup. And um, and also how you can use um, non-realistic stories to explore realistic concepts and feelings. Like it doesn't have to be. And I still, like I said, love realistic fiction, but like, I don't have to read a book about depression, say, it doesn't have to be about a person who feels depressed because dot, dot, dot happened in a very realistic way to explore the themes around depression, for example, right? That's just a way of doing that because it's not, like, I suppose in the way, I don't know if this is a good analogy or not, but George, uh, was it George Orwell Animal Farm, you know? Yep, yep, totally, exactly. It kind of teaches you about life without having people, you know, without doing it through people. It kind of gives you a way of, oh, you know, making connections in your mind. Exactly. And bigger, bigger themes without it feeling too intense or personal, I suppose. Yeah. And Wrinkle in Time did lead me to like reading, you know, Animal Farm in 1984 and every book by Kurt Vonnegut. And like it just got me into that particular sort of genre of science fiction that is explores those themes in a particular way. Okay, I'm going to check that out. I hadn't heard of it, but that does sound really good. And funny question, asking a librarian this, but what was your favourite, or what is your favourite library? It doesn't have to be the library you, you went to growing up or the library you work at. What's been the library that really knocked your socks off? So um, very far away from me, closer to you, the main library in Amsterdam Oh, is really cool. Is it? It's got like a whole, like kind of, cafe slash sitting area and I haven't been there in more than 10 years so who knows how it is now in terms of all the newer kind of technology and things libraries are doing but at the time just the way it was the architecture of it and the furniture choices and the way it was laid out and and the areas for sort of different users and different ages was so cool I just like actually really wanted to hang, hang out there for kind of ever. I'm not surprised because Amsterdam is such a cool city, isn't it? I went there a couple yes. of years ago, just spent, it was, oh, wow. I could have just stayed there forever. Just cycle, I hired a bike, cycled around the canals. Everybody, it's so effortless. It's a real young, fuzzy city. Yeah, it's a great place. I, I've been there two or three times. I'm, I've done, I spent a year traveling with my husband um, oh. before we had kids. 
so I spent time there then, which is the time I had a chance to go into the library and um, it, yeah, it's real cool. If you're, if you're back there, I okay. recommend peeking I'm in. Going, I'm going. And out, out of interest, when you went traveling, do you visit all the, did you visit all the libraries and the places you went to or did it? I mean, not intentionally, but there are some I did visit intentionally if there was something about them that I knew was special. Um, but for the most part, it's more like if I stumble across one, I kind of can't not go in. Like, were you were librarian at that point. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so it's a bit of a busman's holiday for you. you were. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, and I still do that. You know, if I'm in a city and I we walk past the library, I'm like, ooh, let's go peek. Of course you do. I love it. I'm going um, to Seattle in the summer to visit like my sister who lives there, and I cannot. Everybody says you have to go to Seattle. Library. Oh yeah, they have a very cool library. San Francisco is not like I'm going to the library there definitely. That's it. Well, if you're in San Francisco, look me up because I am basically right there. Like Oakland is just across the Bay Bridge, so oh, wow. we are basically the closest city to San Francisco. So you can come check out the library, peek oh, at some I'm of the I'm coming and I might, I might donate an item to the archive as well. There you go. Leave <laughs> something behind and see if it makes its way to me. <laughs> and Sharon, my final question, if you were sent off to a desert island with only one book, what would it be? Oh my gosh. It's like the hardest question. I literally have been thinking about this for days and cannot <laughs> decide on a book. I think oh, like true. honestly, if I really, really could only bring a book, this is like the dorkiest answer ever. I think I would like bring the largest volume of the encyclopedia that I could grab because I would be so bored. And at least that's like yeah. variety. Yeah, switched on. That's a good answer though. I like that because a lot of people just choose their favorite novel, but yeah, I was like, I would get bored with my favorite novel if it was the only thing I had to read. First, I was like, I should bring like Moby Dick or Infinite Jest because maybe I'd finally read them because I would have nothing else to read. <laughs> <laughs> and that might just be really unpleasant as it has been every time I've tried before so okay. I just, I like something like big and with variety and you know yeah to while away the hours Sharon thank you so much for your time I'm gonna let you go because I know you have a, a meeting to go to but I've loved really love chatting to you and I might take you up on your offer and um, yeah turn up in your life because we're coming in uh when are we going July and we're kind of working our way down San Francisco Seattle San Francisco um, so I'm really intrigued. I would love to pop in. Yeah, so. well, let me know if it's, I'm away a little bit in July, but as long as I'm around, I'm happy to show you around too. And, oh, amazing. Really cool amazing. and one day, who knows, there'll be a whole international, you know, link up of all the found in a library books around the world. I love it. Could go global. Anyone who's listening, if you have an archive, I'll link to it for mine. Oh, <laughs> I really hope that you enjoyed that conversation. If you have any questions or comments about any of the topics raised in our conversation, or perhaps you have a story you'd like to share, then do get in touch via my website, Facebook or Instagram, details of which are all listed on the podcast. Thanks for listening.